Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Bern Gibbons, Head of Business Innovation and Partnerships at Informatics. Informatics has a suite of products that enable healthcare organisations to access clinical and administrative data in one place and in real time. Bern is a respected leader in the healthcare industry with a background in nursing, pharmaceutical industry and digital technology spanning 40 years. Burn is committed to advancing digital health in Australia and is driven by a desire to educate and inform the current and future healthcare workforce in Australia to be experienced and well-equipped to utilise the digital technology that's available to them. Hey, Burn, how are you going? Good. How are you, Pete? Pretty good. It's great to be able to connect and uh, do this on the podcast. I think we spent longer just talking and having a chat before we actually recorded this. So hopefully there's some good content we can still talk about in this interview. But that's uh, that's great. Look, for those that don't know Burn Gibbons, give us a bit of background. What's your story and how do you describe yourself then? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Pete. And it's, yeah, it has been a while getting here and I'm so grateful, humbled actually, to, to be invited. So thank you very much. My background started in the last century. No, it actually was this century. <laughs> but, um, in nursing, I started as a very young nurse at Sydney Hospital. And I can actually see the hospital now from my balcony, which oh, is yeah. kind of a bit haunting yeah. about some of the things that we got up to <laughs> up there in those days. But that was where I started my career and I worked in theatre and then moved from Sydney Hospital actually out, out to Princess Alexandria Children's Hospital, which is now Westmead <laughs> Children's Hospital. But finished finished up my nursing degree there in theatres and working with kids. And then I went off and had my own kids. <laughs> so <laughs> when I came back, uh, four children later, instead of going back into nursing full-time, I was working part-time at Sutherland Hospital. And I, I would look at the drug reps that would come in. We call them drug reps then. And I think, yeah, that's something that I could do. You know, you actually get to not have to wear a shower cap to in the <laughs> theatre every day and have have nails and nail polish. So I let the glamour kind of take me away from theatre nursing. And I went and started work with Glaxo. It was then called Just Glaxo. And I was working in the respiratory division. And then we merged with a company called Welcome. And we became Glaxo Welcome. And I got into theatre sales again. So and it wasn't very long before I moved into Glaxo Welcome, the product management. And and I took on a drug called Zofran on Dancitron, which I still am in love with and very proud of, like a little baby that it was. And I got the drug onto the PBS with a new indication, which sounds really easy when you say it in a few words, but it was almost three years of doing research and clinical trials to get it to be a um, post-operative nausea and vomiting indication in Australia. So, And then we moved it to they picked it up internationally so I still love it when I you know someone says oh, I vomit when I'm in theatre you know after an operation I they need to be giving you some Mondancitron so yeah it's still used and after that I was actually working still selling to hospitals and the then main health remember the big red dot yeah. and they said hey we like your style of negotiating with us <laughs> would you like to go and run pharmacy for all of our hospitals wow. then they had 57 so I got to go in there and work with what was known as the wild colonial boys because <laughs> our CEO Peter Smedley had come from colonial and we also had Maine Nicholas so it was such a great experience Pete and it, especially anyone who knows me knows 
said I'm about relationships mm. and about keeping those relationships and because you know together I believe we can all do more and the people who I worked with in those main hospitals now run hospitals are CEOs of other organizations and we still all collaborate and you know work in different areas but together mm-hmm. so then they took on they acquired uh, after I was running pharmacy they acquired a company called Folding Healthcare and that was in Adelaide and I remember being in the lift one day with Peter Smedley and he says you're the person who looks after all of the tablets aren't you <laughs> meaning not now what we think of as tablets yeah. he was referring to <laughs> Panadol yeah. and, uh, and he said I need you to come to South Australia with me this weekend we're buying a new company Hmm. and so little old me the nurse you know just got Hmm. dragged into um, a major acquisition and you know that was being kept very quiet and it was a hostile takeover of the Australian company folding so that got me into wholesale drugs and then we were now running warehouses of drugs and so now I was responsible for all of the drugs that went into hospitals that was four years and then I was asked to apply for a position to run a a consortium of wholesalers to take advantage of the fifth pharmacy agreement. Some people who are listening will, uh, Paul Naismith, for example, from Fred IT, he was like my soulmate for a long time there. (laughs) I would, we were all in Melbourne and I would just go and sit with Paul late on a Friday afternoon and we would just commiserate of what was going on around the Fifth Pharmacy Agreement. And we were one of three. My wholesalers was DHL, Alpha Farm and Central Hospital Supplies. Hmm. And so I got a lot of experience doing that. Can I say that was my favourite job, though, that Hmm. I've ever had, running logistics. (laughs) I loved it. (laughs) I just loved it. So, But from there, I was going to come back. I was coming back to Sydney to be CEO of a private hospital in, in Sydney with Ramsey Healthcare, and someone said, there's a job going at Telstra. And I was, what? Yeah, that is so different yeah. to what I've done. And David Thody was then the group GM for Telstra Enterprise and Government. Mm-hmm. And my sister had worked with David Thody at IBM. And I just saw it as a bit of a, okay, they want to talk to me. I'll go and see what they want to talk about. Mm. And they were looking for someone to run the health vertical and, you know, establish new ways and how to get into uh, healthcare, you know, more solidly as a vertical. Mm. So I didn't take the Ramsey job and instead took the Telstra job. Wow. And and went to Telstra and we were advising at that time on the NBN and what Telstra's agreement with the NBN Hmm. would look like. And mm. our advice informed NBN that we needed to have a always-on health network, mm. the same as they do for defence. That was the advice, and I and that was the advice that informed NBN. And they said, "Do this." That still hasn't come to fruition. So, Mary, if you're listening, I think that <laughs> is still something that they should look at. Is you know just to have that always secure, trusted mm. cloud. But our partners are AWS, so I don't think they'd probably like me giving that advice. But I I left Telstra then because I had seen this other company. I'd been asked to assist Enterprise Island with with a trade mission that they had coming into Australia and introduce these folk to to, my network, which I was happy to do. And I saw a solution there that I thought, wow, this is 
pretty cool. It's, you know, just taking the existing paper record and duplicating it, but in digital Mm -hmm. and integrating it. So I offered to the then owners of the company, would you like me to have a go at, you know, bringing this into Australia? So we did, and we were very successful and went on seven years later, though moved out of that company at the beginning Mm. of 2019, so just last year, and went into informatics which uh, is a company that that has been around for since 2000, completely Australian-owned and based in Victoria. We can't get back there at the moment to see the rest of the team, so it's always over the um, virtual meeting. And so with informatics, it's been around for a while and you've come into it relatively recently. What did it do up until this point and and what does it do now? Yeah, well, it, uh, it still does in some hospitals. I mean, we're still in over, we're in 60, maybe 63 different hospitals across across Australia. We're in every hospital mm. in uh, Tassie and they have no intention of moving to another platform. They like what Informatics is able to provide to them, especially with our upgrade to digital. And look, in uh, it was in 2018, in March 2018, Sante Capital and Ara Capital acquired acquired Informatics, and, uh, and then they acquired Jeff Smoot and myself mm. 12 months later. Mm. And it was very clear. They said, "Take the solution." digitize it we just needed to move it up to the to a new version mm. and they gave us that mandate and a budget to yeah to transform the technology and make it available on mobile devices and improve the integration platform which we've done and get it into the cloud <laughs> so we've, which we've also done where now we've worked over the last 12 months to to get the solution version four as we call it Mm. into the cloud and we've also changed our logo we looked at changing the name as well pete you know from Mm. informatics and we went out to all of our clients and we realized why would we change it it's very Mm. well respected Mm -hmm. and so we didn't change informatics we've added a lot of new modules that have come out of the design into digital Mm. and into cloud so it's given us a lot more opportunity so we've just added those names. And and what actually is the solution? What are people actually using the, the product for? So at our core, we are a clinical viewer. Mm. It's a clinical information viewer because we realised that's actually what doctors need more than being told, guess what, we're putting in an EMR and you need to start working a little bit harder because that EMR is going to cost us mm. you know, tens of millions of dollars. Instead, start with digitising the workflows that are most important mm-hmm. to the clinicians and since you know and of course before COVID no one wanted to talk to us about cloud <laughs> but now we've need I guess took over from want and we haven't re- relinquished our you know requirement for security of course it's even yeah it's just given a lot of confidence I think to hospitals mm. that digitize the workflow have it available in the cloud mm. co-designed with our customers don't force something on them and just say turn off what you don't need there's a lot of hospitals now pete that they're coming to us and asking about how can we move from where we are now to the cloud solution yeah and these are large hospital groups yeah and when we say digitize the workflow is that just moving from 
paper to digital or what does that actually look like in a practical sense for a doctor or a nurse or a clinical person in digitizing their workflow? Sure. It's it's taking what they currently do. It's in a I might just use a scenario of a patient using the portal that is in a private hospital. We're currently going through this at the moment with a private hospital that that we're going live with next month as a digital hospital in the cloud with AWS. And, you know, patients are able to log in to their website and give their information. And then what was previous would have happened was it all becomes, it's printed off and it's a paper record now in the hospital and goes into a folder. Now it goes straight into the digital informatics record and it's able to be viewed immediately by the doctor from wherever they are so they go oh okay I can see you know my patient lists now into theatre for this Friday so it's a now a digital record he or she can view it and make any changes that they need to make and then things like within the hospital they're booking the room and and the like the important part was the what does the hospital really need well they needed to get that digitize Mm. they actually have a very large room at the moment that is going to be a mental health ward so they needed to get all the paper out of there and they're not they're not going to be back scanning instead they're keeping all of those files elsewhere but everything and then as a patient if they do come back in and you do want that file they just call for that file to come in and then be scanned into the record that's funny you'd think like in any other industry you just expect that's the norm but and if you were coming into healthcare you'd just think well isn't this just the way it should be done yes yeah and they want to be able to code as well on discharge you know the uh, a big problem we have that is with some of the some of the hospitals in Victoria for example have been that you know they can't get their coders uh, to come into the hospital to do the coding they need to be able to do it elsewhere so elsewhere doesn't even now need to mean in Victoria it can be you know our best cardiac coders happen to live in Darwin this isn't actual fact <laughs> this is what's going on and so now all that in the cloud they just are able to log in and be able to code from darwin you know and get it back overnight whenever and also send that message through to the doctor when he's checking you know in his viewer that oh i've also got a meeting i've got a request here from the coder that they they're asking did you use normally you use this medication and it's an extraordinary drug you know did you use it because i need to code it in rather than waiting any longer and so access to that data is so important it's more important now than than it's ever been is so that we can plan and evaluate you know what hospitals need to be doing in the future must admit i knew i knew a bit about the concept of clinical coding but i didn't know that you could become an expert in a particular like area of clinical coding that's like next level i have to meet some of those you know cardiac coding specialists or someone that specializes in you know is it that specialized becoming so focused in one particular area of coding it is yeah right yeah yeah and so when you and when you think you know of of hips and knees and shoulders that you know the orthopedics use yeah. That's there's the screws just in mm. some of those and having 
having an in-depth knowledge of actually what is used in a doctor's normal procedure is essential. You miss out on one of those, that means, oh, so if that screw wasn't used, that whole kit wasn't used. So you could miss $30,000. So, and the importance of that is around, you know, this is something that we're moving towards around coding is AI because learning about, well, this is what the doctor usually does or then asking those questions is also essential, especially now you might not even get to ever meet that doctor, but you can know more about him than he probably knows about himself. (laughs) Cool. Very exciting. Very interesting. So outside of informatics for a second, you do a bit of stuff for the digital health agency as well. Tell us a little bit more about your experience with that and, and what you're working on there. Yeah, so what we're doing is the importance around standards is uh, something that's always been very close to me. I've always been about, you know, my word that I always have to say is interoperability. And you can't have interoperability, you can't have us as vendors actually playing by the rules if there aren't standards mm. to the delivery of, you know, of our software. So in June this year, we acquired a, another solution called Clinivid, and that is virtual care. And so that allows digital multidisciplinary teams meetings. But what it really does that's so cool is it also now enables you know you didn't realize you had this there and you didn't realize it would be in such high demand for doctors to not need to come into a hospital to do their rounds that they the nurse instead can take you on a device around to the patient's bedside have view of your record and what's happened over the last 24 hours and also be able to talk to you and the patient also see them. So it's a lot of clinical photography, a lot of we've, we have secure messaging that we've worked on. We've just come through the SMIO project as well, the secure messaging interoperability project with the ADHA. And the importance of it started to get me really interested then in well what are the standards now for telehealth and we're calling it virtual care and uh, anywhere where you're having a video consultation with a patient between the patient and the doctor you know do we have standards around what that you know, the technology, how everyone behaves and whether you should get paid for it or not. So that's where I'm, I was fortunate to gather a group of people that the agency refers to as the most diverse group that they've seen, followers. It's going to be a good thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I keep looking through the list, Pete, going, what in here makes us so diverse? <laughs> but I think it's because it's technology, it's doctors, it's pathology and allied health. And they're all saying, we want the government to take responsibility for the guidelines and the standards around telehealth. We don't want to have so many hardline standards that we stifle um, innovation, Mm. but it's in our blood here at Informatics is only do it if the standards say that you can. Don't go telling a hospital that, yeah, sure, we can do this workaround or cut corners if it's not what is stable and what has been proven before. And so if you never just, you know, work against the existing standards around software. Yeah, and it's, yeah, I agree. It's definitely important that those standards would be enforced from a government perspective, but equally, if not more important, that they're informed or influenced by the industry and those within it from a day-to-day 
I think the worst thing that could happen would be like the enforcement of a standard or a process, which from a distance or from a bureaucratic point of view makes sense. But in the day to day, it doesn't, you know, like there's so many examples of that taking place. Yes. And I, you know, I'm actually going to speak to the agency in about half an hour um, <laughs> about, you know, our spring industry in to be, you know, the MSIA could have a tick for example, that mm. this company is accredited and follows all of the standards for this area, yeah. you know, in telehealth or in medical records. Mm. And uh, I talked to John Kelly a bit, who's the CEO at the Heart Foundation. How did you get th that moving? I'm listening to him as well. We need to talk more. And I think just like we're doing now, that's why I'm so passionate about having the opportunity. I think we can all sit inside and our own offices that we used to you know, we're in at events and talk to our own people. Yeah. But I'd actually like to be able to having more of these discussions around what is available to the healthcare consumer mm. and and tell them to demand it when you're in front of a doctor or in a hospital. Say, yeah. so I know that this technology exists. Mm. Why aren't you using it? We'll get there in time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I don't want to make you late for your meeting with the ADHA, though, so let's wrap things up. Informatics, what's coming up in the future? What can we look forward to seeing coming from you guys soon? Oh, yeah, we've got a lot of discussions going on, actually, voice-to-text technology. Cool. We're signing with uh, a company this week that I think has the closest to Siri <laughs> voice to text, you know, hi, I want to see Ben Gibbons record. And, you know, once that they've signed in, of course, to the viewer, it comes up, okay, now show me her diagnostic report from the histo that we did the other day. And that will all come up and that can either talk back to you and then you dictate as well into the record. So it's really exciting. Mm. Coding is is my middle name at the moment. <laughs> so it's more algorithms to Im improve that virtual coding, so more AI. And also the partnership that we have now with the Australian Cybersecurity Centre, very exciting to be. They're doing a great job if um, anyone needs to look them up and get involved because they will support your software journey and keep us safe. Amazing, Burn. Look, I'm going to put the details of all the resources and institutions and bits and pieces that we talked about in this podcast that people can check out and also learn a bit more about informatics. I'll pop that in the show notes of this episode. Burn, look, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Keep doing what you do. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Make sure you go check out our website for all our resources, including this podcast and the largest directory of technology solutions available to Australian healthcare practitioners today. Until next time, I'm out of here.